Some of you may remember during the 37, during Super Bowl 37, FedEx ran a commercial that spoofed the movie Castaway. Uh, you may recall it was one where Tom Hanks played the FedEx worker whose company plane went down. He went down on a deserted island and he was stranded on that deserted island uh, for a few years. The FedEx employee in the commercial eventually gets off of the island and he had a package with him that he was supposed to deliver and he held onto that package the whole time he was on the deserted island and he never opened it up. He just protected the package. And as the commercial goes, Tom Hanks playing that role, he rolls up to this suburban home once he's off the island, carrying the package, rings the doorbell, goes up, and a lady answers the door. He explains, ma'am, I've been deserted on an island for several years. I was, uh, I was on a plane, a FedEx plane. It went down, but I protected your package, and I kept it safe for you, so here's your package. And she politely said, thank you and decided to go in the house. And he kind of knocks on the door again and says, ma'am, if you don't mind, I'm really kind of curious. Do you mind sharing with me maybe what's inside that package? I mean, I've been protecting it for so long. I'm just kind of curious what's in there. And she said, no, I don't mind. And so she opens the package and comes to find out. She says, there's really nothing in there, just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some, some vegetable seeds. Maybe you recall that commercial. You can remember that. A global, a phone to call for help, a global positioning device to let someone know where he was, a compass to give direction, a water purifier to take care of his thirst, and a vegetable seeds where he could grow a garden. The problem was he never opened the package. I don't know about you, if it was me, I would have been opening the package at least when I was deserted on island. So forget this, trying to deliver it, but didn't open the package. You know, sometimes we're just like that FedEx man stranded on an island. We're on this island called Earth, called the world. We have a package. We have a package for the things that we need of this life. But sometimes we just don't open it. I mean, this package is a direction for life. This package guides you on how to be a godly man or a godly woman. This package guides you in the areas of integrity, tells you how to be a good husband, how to be a good dad, how to be a good mom, how to be a good worker, how to manage money, how to, how to love people. This package has all the answers for living that we could possibly ever need or want or desire. The problem sometimes is we just don't open the package. And most importantly, this package that we hold called the Bible it tells us about salvation. It tells us about Jesus who died on a cross. It tells us about His great love. It tells us about God's plan to rescue us from eternity separated from Him to spend eternity with Him. Have you opened the package lately? Have you, have you dived into God's Word and, and been understanding God's Word? We've been in this series called The Bible, and we've had three simple goals. I have three simple goals that, that I desire for, for our congregation, for the body of Centerpoint. Goal number one is my desire is that you would love God's Word, that you would grow in the love of God's Word. Unfortunately, for some, God's Word is just a history book. Or God's Word is a book that people say, ah, it's hard for me to understand, and so I put it away. For some, God's Word is something, well, I, I protect it because that was my dad's Bible, or that was my mom's Bible, or that was my grandma's Bible, and so I keep it safe. For some, it's just a book that well, I've been around it, but I haven't really been in it. I want us to grow in our love of the Scriptures. You say, why is that? Well, because the Scriptures are 
God, our Father, communicating directly to us. And so He's giving us His words on these written pages. And as we learn to love the Scriptures, we'll learn to love Him more. Goal number two is that we learn the Scriptures, that we learn the Word, that we have a desire to learn the Word. What does that mean? That means that I want to understand the Bible, and I want to grow to, to learn how to understand the Bible and, and, how to, and what it means for my life. And then lastly, to live the Word that we will love the Word, that we will learn the Word, and that we will live it, that we won't just learn it like it's some kind of history book, but we will learn it and realize God is telling me how to live. And so as God is directing me how to live, I'll say, I'm going to live that. I'm going to go and do that. And so we want to grow in loving the Word, learning the Word, and living out the Word. Pick up your Bibles with me, and let's do the same thing we've done over the last few weeks. And I just ask you to repeat after me. And I'm going to tell you, I've added a little bit to it because I think it's important that we do. This is God's Word. A lamp to my feet. A light to my path. I will hide these words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Here's the new part. I will not just listen to these words. I'll put them into practice and live them. Heavenly Father, I pray what we just said is true. Lord, it is true that this is Your Word. It is true, Lord, that this is a lamp to our feet if we will engage with it. It is true that this is a light to our path if we will follow it. Lord, it is true that when we hide these words in our heart, Lord, they will protect us and keep us from sin. God, I pray that it's true that we won't just listen to these words. I pray, Lord, that it is true that we will desire and that we will do our best to put them into practice, that we'll do our best to live them out. God, Your Word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It trains and corrects and rebukes and instructs us in righteousness. And God, I pray today that Your Word would do that. I pray that in this room, Lord, Your Word would, would guide us, would direct us, would instruct us, would, would help us, Lord, grow in You. God, open our minds and our hearts to hear from you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. When Josiah was king of Judah, he ordered the temple to be, re be renovated. It's, it's a great story to read in the Old Testament. During the process of this extreme makeover, kind of temple addition, so to speak, it was discovered that there was an old book that had been discarded and it was discovered, and it, it was read to this 26-year-old king. So as they go through and they, they start reading it, they discover that this scroll was actually the Word of God. And upon hearing its contents, this young king who was 26 years old repented of his ways. He realized, I'm not doing things according to God's way, neither is, our, neither is our city. And there was a sacred assembly throughout the land to hear the contents of the sacred scroll. So beyond Josiah hearing the word proclaimed and read, then they started reading the word into, into the whole people, into the gathering, to the assembly of people. And up until that town, up until that time, there was a great cloud of darkness that had spread throughout the land that ruled over people's hearts. Uh, there was idol worship, there was sexual immorality, there was even human sacrifice, 
were among some of the practices of the masses of the people. Even the temple of God itself was littered with, with obscene shrines and indecent memorials to false gods because they had moved that far away from the Word of God, and the Word of God had basically been lost in that culture until Josiah starts to discover it and it's read to him. And after being enlightened in God's Word, King Josiah set in motion a series of reforms throughout his kingdom whose likes had never been seen before and probably haven't been seen that strong since. And just like a light dispelling darkness, the discovery of God's Word exposed the darkness and illuminated the pathway of how to live in this life. And there was a change of culture and even changed history. God's Word continues to do that today. It continues to do that today. The psalmist described the impact of God's Word in Psalm 119, 105. It's been one of our verses. It says, your, lamp, your Word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. We talked about that a few weeks ago where we turned it out dark in here and just turned on a little cell phone light and we showed how a lamp that this verse is talking about, that as you walk according to God's Word, it lamps, it's a lamp that just lights your path little by little as you put your faith in God and as you trust in God's Word. As you take steps, the light just continues to shine just in front of you just enough so you can see where God is leading, what God is trying to do in your life. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I love that passage. The unfolding of your words means those who, who start to dive in and start to understand it, start to read it, gives understanding to the simple. In other words, we don't have to be some high theologian, really smart person with all kinds of degrees. Just the simple can understand God's Word. Literally, every day people are discovering and some are rediscovering the benefits of being in God's Word and the power of God's Word for daily living. To say, to say the least, there is no other book that even comes close to the influence of God's Word. None. And according to Barna Research Group, the percentage of American adults who read the Bible, it's on the increase. I'd say that's a good thing. And I think it's on the increase because our culture realizes, you know what, politics aren't going to save us. Financial markets are not going to save us. We see what's going on with wars and rumors of wars, and, and we see what's going on with shootings and, and just all the difficulties. And people are saying, what are the answers? And more people are starting to turn to the Word of God, and they're reading the, under, reading the Word of God. However, reading the Bible and understanding the Bible are two totally different concepts. I mean, you can read the Bible, and you can ask the question, what does this mean? You can read the Bible and not understand it. I find that many people today are kind of like the Ethiopian official that is found in Acts 8 who was reading from the Bible when Philip came up near his chariot and asked him a very important question. He said, do you understand what you are reading? How about you? Is that a question sometimes you could be asked today and go, do you understand what you are reading? The old Ethiopian official was blatantly honest in his response. He says, how can I? How can I understand it unless someone takes the time to explain it to me? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you've been reading a Bible passage and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. Let me reread that again. I still have no idea what I just read. It's not making sense to me. You're not alone. Even the apostle Peter admitted to having some trouble understanding Scripture. Listen to what Peter wrote concerning some of Paul's letters in 2 Peter 3. He says, Bear in mind that our Lord's present, our patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Peter's like, listen, I understand Paul's writings are difficult. 
I have a hard time understanding them. Which ignorant and unstable people distort. And ignorant just means they're uninformed. They're not educated. And so because they're uninformed and uneducated, they distort them and mess them up as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. And Peter is saying, listen, sometimes I understand it's hard to understand. It's, it's difficult to understand. But as he's going on, we've got to learn how to understand God's Word. If you've had trouble understanding God's Word, you're in good company. You're right in the same boat as Peter. You can say amen to that. Say, thank you. I'm not the only one. You're certainly not alone. Some, though, because they don't understand it, what we do is we give up on it. We take the book and we close it. We put it on a shelf. We, we, we have the app on our phone. So we say, I have a Bible app. I don't open it. Don't read it. Because sometimes we just go, I don't really get it. And since I don't get it, and since it's confusing to me, I just don't engage in it. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Wherever you're out in the journey with God's Word, don't give up opening it up and reading it with the prayer we talked about last week, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God wants to speak to you. 1 Timothy 2 says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people as you make your request. Plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. Pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quietness and godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior for He wants everyone to be saved and now get this, and to understand the truth. Pray that people would understand the truth. That includes you and me. Everybody. It wasn't just for the people of that time. Everybody, for the people of that time and the people to come afterward, that phrase that we would understand the truth. God's Word, the Bible, is His primary way of speaking to us. And maybe just like the Ethiopian official in Acts 8, you're asking, how can I unless someone helps me? How can I understand this unless someone helps you? That's exactly what I want, want to be able to do through this message today. It's what we've been doing through this series. Is we've been trying to help you understand how can I learn a little bit more about God's Word to help you better understand God's Word. We could have a, a class on this topic. We've been kind of doing that via email. I hope you're receiving the emails. We've been sending them out weekly with a a quick video teaching from Kyle that went back to a series we did with men back in the winter and the spring. You watch those little videos. It's like having a little class teaching you how to understand the Word of God. But today I want to give you just three words that I, help, I believe will help you find a better understanding of God's Word. Illumination, preparation, and interpretation. Now we talked about illumination last week, but I want to dive into it just a little bit more. How to understand God, God's Word. It takes illumination. Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes, I may see wonderful things in your law. That's open my eyes, illuminate my life, illuminate my mind. Illumination is a supernatural influence or ministry of the Holy Spirit, which enables all who believe in Christ to understand the Scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in understanding God's Word. The fact of the matter is we cannot and will not be able to understand the Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the help of the Holy Spirit when you're reading God's Word, then what you have is just a bunch of words on the page. You say, why is that? I believe because there's two big blinders that prevent us from comprehending God's Word. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us in both of these blinders. One blinder is we're blinded by sin. We're blinded to God's Word by the darkness 
of our own sin, and sin becomes a clog. It becomes, it becomes a clog that, that clogs up just like a, the plumbing of the pipe. It becomes a clog in communication between us and God. First John 2.11 says, But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now that's just one reference to, to a sin of hating, hating a brother or a sister, but all sin does that. It blinds us. Sin certainly has a darkening effect where it darkens out the light of truth. One of the most blinding of all sins is pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The prideful person who says, ah, I got it all figured out. Ah, I know I have God's Word, but I'll get to that later in my life. Right now, I'm kind of living my own plan. Pride is, I've got it just handled underneath my own abilities. And God, I don't know how much influence or voice I need from you. We have to have our eyes open and we have to get rid of sin that is in our life in order to understand the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit shows us our sin. We're also blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, Satan, the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they are un unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon us. They don't understand the message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's His work. His work is to blind us to the, to the evil or blind us to the light so that evil prevails. He keeps us distracted and preoccupied with selfish and sinful pursuits. He keeps us busy. He keeps us busy being under Satan's yoke. I run here, I go there, I take my kids here, I take my kids there. I'm dealing with this part of life and that part of life. And he keeps us so busy, keeps us preoccupied and distracted from hearing from him. He, he causes heartache and trouble in our lives and convinces us that it's God's fault. And what do we do? Many times we're going through a difficult time or a hard time and we point the finger at God and say, God, why could you allow this to happen in my life? And when we do that, we tend to close the book versus opening the book and Satan uses that as a blinder. He fills our minds with unbelief, with doubt, with discouragement and fear. He makes us think, this thing's not real. These words are not real. They're just put together by man. And he starts putting those things in our mind, and Satan uses those as blinder. He creates confusion by distorting and twisting the truth of God's Word. When we think, well, I believe this, and it doesn't align with God's Word, he gets us all confused and messed up. Can you see why we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit? Sin gets in the way, Satan gets in the way, we're blinded. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul told the Corinthians that when God spoke to Moses and gave him his commands, the people had to put a veil over Moses' face because it was too radiant for them to look at. And Paul tells the Corinthians that in 2 Corinthians 3, yes, even today when they read, read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. The truth is that all of us, have that same veil over our hearts that prevent us from understanding God's Word. And so God enters in our life through the Holy Spirit. The veil over our heart can be taken away. Paul addresses that in verse 16 and 17 in 2 Corinthians. He says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Christ." The veil's taken away. The Holy Spirit starts to do His work. When it comes to understanding the Bible, our starting block is the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, and He says the Holy Spirit is a teacher, is a comforter, is a counsel, is a guide. But He says that He will teach us all things. 
all things. He teaches us all things. He does that through the Word. In Psalm uh, or in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, but people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. And Paul's warning and saying, listen, those who are not Christians, you're going to have a hard time understanding God's Word. But for those who are in Christ, it can be opened up to us. The psalmist makes it very simple. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's a prayer we should be praying. That's a prayer we pray as we open the Word of God to pray. Open my eyes so I can see the wonderful things in your Scriptures. Illumination is a supernatural influence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that enables all who believe in Christ to understand the Scriptures. There's two other words that help us. One is preparation. While the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds, there is no excuse There is no excuse for shoddiness or lack of preparation. If you want to understand the Word of God, then you need to commit yourself to the process of preparation. I've got to tell you, this will not come into your mind by just sitting on your head through osmosis. It doesn't just come into your mind by making sure I downloaded the app and now I have it, but I never open it and I don't use it. I remember growing up playing ball. We'd go to practice. We'd practice three, four days a week. What would we do? We would shoot layup after layup after layup after layup. We'd go to the free throw line. We'd shoot free throw after free throw after free throw after free throw. We would run and get tired. And he said, good, let's do some more layups. Layup again, again, and again, and again. Free throw again, 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 again. Every single practice, you practiced your layups and you practiced your free throws. And you did that when you were tired many times. Coach would try to tire you out and see if you could still make the layup, still make the free throw. Life is tiring. It wears you out. It exhausts you. But preparation is I get in a daily routine where I am opening God's Word and I am practicing reading God's Word. I'm studying God's Word. I'm getting in God's Word. And sometimes it takes practice. I'm going to do it over and over and over and over again until I'm good at it. And then when I think I'm good at it, I'm going to keep on going. See, in the Old Testament, there was a man who modeled this process of preparation for us, of understanding God's Word. His name was Ezra, and he was instrumental in helping God's people return to their homeland and rebuild the temple of God. Tucked away in the middle of the book that bears his name is this very insightful verse about preparation. Ezra says in 7.10, For Ezra had devoted himself to study and observe and the observance of the law of the Lord, and the teaching its decrees and its laws in Israel. Ezra modeled preparation in three ways. To study God's Word. The first aspect of preparation to understand God's Word was to do with the study of God's Word. Ezra devoted himself to study God's Word. We live in a day where there are tools available to us like never before in order to study God's Word. Years ago, you'd have to have the right kind of books. You'd have to have commentaries and concordances, and you could pull all those books and study. Today, you can go to website after website after website that is free on any passage of Scripture that you're studying, and you can get helps to study God's Word. When you think about the idea of studying God's Word, what comes to mind, though? You start to think of school. You start to think of caffeine and late nights and thinking the test is coming tomorrow. I would encourage you to change your mindset. Change your mindset. When you start thinking about studying the Bible, I encourage you to think of a thing like an adventurer going on an exploration, searching for hidden treasures. 
It's not studying for a test. It's not studying to, to be ready for, for the test that's coming tomorrow. You're going on an exploration searching for some great things to find. That's what Proverbs 2 says. Good friend, take to heart what I'm telling you. Collect my counsels and guard them with your life. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and won't take no for answer, searching for it like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt, believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours. You'll have come to the knowledge of God. And here's why. God gives out wisdom free. is is plain spoken and knowledge and understanding. You don't just walk along the street of, of someone searching for gold and go, oh, look, I just found gold. No, they dig for it. They search for it. They pan the gold. I love the picture of gold and treasure because these pictures tell me how valuable the truth of God's Word is in my life. But you don't find gold just lying around. You have to work to find it and you have to go after it to get it. You don't find hidden treasures without a map. You usually go looking for a map. You have to search for it and dig it up. God gives us His Word and He says, here, here, X marks the spot. He, he, he gives us a word and says, here's a place where you can find hope when you need hope. He says, here's the power to love. Here's a deeper faith, the, a deeper faith than you've ever imagined. He says, here's your Bible. Open it and read it, and I'll show you how to be a good dad. I'll show you how to have a Christ-centered marriage. I'll show you how to love your friends. I'll show you how to make it through the difficult times of life. It's all inside the Scriptures, but sometimes you have to go searching for it and studying it just as you're searching for gold. Number two, Ezra observes God's Word. Observes God's Word. Not only did Ezra devote himself to studying God's Word, he devoted himself to observing. And that word observing in the original language actually means to do God's Word. We've been talking about. And if you really want to understand the Bible, then you need to do what it says. James 1, 22-25, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately, forgets what he looks like, but the man who looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Ezra, in other words, would look at God's law, and as he understood God's law, observing it, he went out and did it. For us, that means as you read about it, it says, oh, this is what it means to be a great wife? Go do that. Oh, this is what it means to be a man of God and be a husband like God wants me? Oh, I go and do that. Oh, this is what it means to be a great parent? Oh, I go do that. Oh, this is what it means to deal with my anger or deal with my lust or deal with my temptation or how I handle strife or difficulties? Oh, as I read God's Word, as I observe it, I say, I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to go and do it. Many times we don't get more out of God's Word because we don't do the first thing He tells us. Many times God's like, I'm not going to give you more because you're struggling to even do what you've already read, what you've already studied, what you've already discovered. Ezra discovered that as he observed or did God's Word, then it opened up even more to him. There's a third aspect of Ezra's life, and that was to teach God's Word preparation that Ezra modeled for us is not he didn't only just devote himself to studying and observing it, but he taught God's Word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, some of us in here say, oh, I'm not a teacher. I can't stand up there and preach. There's no way I'm not doing that. Oh, me lead a Bible study. I'm not leading a Bible study. All of us can teach one to another. All of us can tell somebody else, look at what I read in the Bible. Look at this verse that I discovered. Look what God sent me today. All of us can do that. 
The problem is many times uh, we get stuck with receiving and not giving. And I'll tell you, there's a good illustration of that, and it's the Sea of Galilee versus the Dead Sea. And the north is the Sea of Galilee, and the south is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful body of water, still a vacation spot in Israel filled with fish and teeming with life. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's just that. It's dead. It's filled with, with minerals that, that little can survive in or around at this desolate site. What's the difference? Water flows into the Dead Sea from the northern mountains and then out through the Jordan River. But the Dead Sea has no outlet. So it fills with sediment and minerals. And so everything that's in there dies. I, I compare it kind of similar if you've ever been on the back of our property to our pond. There are times that our pond on our property looks absolutely gorgeous and there are times it looks like a cesspool. It's absolutely disgusting. And what happens is, is you go walking back there, you walk by and you're like, oh my goodness, it's covered up with all kinds of crud and algae and it looks terrible. And usually that happens when it's been dry outside. Because when it's been dry outside, the pond tends to go kind of low. Also, we get this nice rain and the water runs off of the road, comes into our pond, it fills our pond up, and then it overflows into our floodplain in the back of the property back here. You go walk back after a good rain and you go by and you go, wow, look at the lilies. Wow, look at there's actually frogs in the pond. Every now and then you can see a few small fish. But in the heat of the summer when it's dry and we're not getting any rain, it looks like a big old nasty cesspool. In order for a pond to stay fresh or in order for a lake or a stay fresh, there has to be an inflow of water and there has to be a place for it to outflow. The same is true in your life when it comes to God's Word. You have to have a constant balance of receiving God's Word, sitting underneath teaching, being in sermon, studying God's Word, being in a small group, being in a growth group, doing that kind of thing. You receive God's Word, but if you don't let it flow out of you into other people's lives, teaching it, sharing it, letting people know about it, your life just becomes like a cesspool, like a nasty pond. And unfortunately, that happens in the church. We just get stuck with receiving, 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 and we don't give it to somebody else. What Ezra is trying to say is, I'm learning that i got to teach the Word of God. So when you read the Word of God and you go, oh my goodness, that's an awesome verse. Hey, honey, let me tell you about a verse I just saw. Let me tell you what God's teaching me about that. You're teaching the Word of God. Oh my goodness, I was reading God's Word. And you go with your kids and you see your kids. Hey, let me tell you about God's Word. Let me just tell you, you're not doing a big old stand-up lecture before people thinking, I'm not a preacher. No, you're just teaching God's Word as you go about life. As you do that, God will keep you fresh and growing in His Word. There's one more word. It's interpretation. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of truth. We need to be people of the Word, but we need to be people of the Word who do our best to handle this accurately. Like me, you probably have heard people say that the Bible is so confusing because there are so many interpretations. And that's not accurate. The statement's not accurate. There's a big difference between interpretation of the Bible and application of the Bible. You see, while people will certainly apply the Bible to a lot of different ways and a lot of different uh, settings, there's really only one interpretation of the Bible. Interpretation has to do with the author's original intent. And I don't know about you, but I find it amazing how people will try to twist the Bible to say what they want it to say and often throwing out the rules of common sense. Sometimes things seem confusing because we don't understand how to interpret even non-biblical writings. For instance, if I were to say, say to you today, 
you've been pulling my leg. You would all know that I, I'm meaning you've been joking with me. You've been teasing me. If I put that into writing, like say a tweet or something like that, or my Facebook page and say, you've been pulling my leg, and then someone reads that a thousand years from now, without good interpretation, they may think, wow, whatever was going on at that time, someone grabbed someone's foot and they're actually pulling on them without good interpretation and good understanding. I want to encourage you to get on the video series we've been emailing out because it deals with interpretation, how you interpret Scripture. But let me give you some simple ways, seven guidelines for interpreting God's Word that even even non-biblical writings would use these kind of principles. Seven guidelines. Number one, and this applies to the Bible, not to non-biblical writings, but faith and the Holy Spirit are necessary for proper interpretation. It takes faith in the Holy Spirit to make sense of the whole of what the Bible says and means. You have to have a personal relationship with the author. And we all have that available to us today. We have that available to us. And for someone who is not yet a believer, even the smallest step of faith will give them insight to understand God's Word. But when you come to that personal relationship with Jesus, it will blow the gates open. It will blow the lid off of what you'll start to understand about God's Word. Number two, you have to allow the Bible to interpret itself. Learn to do cross-reference studies. You can do that very easily using the concordance in the back of your Bible. Go into a website like BibleGateway.com and you can do cross-reference. Someone will ask me sometimes, Brian, hey, what's the best commentary on the Bible? And I know they're referring to all of all the different commentary sets and all the different commentaries authors, but quite honestly, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's for you to understand, oh, it's talking about love here, but what does it say about love over here? What does it say about love here? As you look at that, you get a better understanding of the idea of love. You have to be able to look all the way through the Bible to see what the Bible teaches. Scripture best explains Scripture. And quite honestly, as you learn how to better study the Scripture, you maybe need less and less tools of somebody else explaining it for you as you understand the rules of interpretation. Number three is understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. We need both of them. You don't throw one out. The Old Testament can sometimes be a scary place without the light of the New Testament. You've got to picture it like this. The Old Testament is dimly lit room filled with treasures. The New Testament brings more light into the room and allows you to see the real beauty of the treasures contained in the Old Testament. So as you study the whole of Scripture, it brings life to the Old and to the New Testament. Number four, understand unclear passages in light of clear passages. People violate this, this guideline all the time. They find one verse... They don't under, understand, they decide how to interpret it, and then they try to make other verses fit it. That's poor interpretation. Mark Twain once said, it's not the things that I don't understand that bother me about the Bible, it's the things that I do understand that bothers me. So as you try to come to an understanding of Scripture, you have to look at passages you understand, the passages that are very clear, and you have to compare those with passages that are sometimes unclear and start mirroring those together. Number five, understand words and verses in light of their context. This is absolutely a central rule for accurate interpretation. When we read a passage of Scripture, we have to ask the question, what was the author's original intent? What was going on at that time? There are so many words and so many subjects in the Bible, it's easy to take a few of them out of context just to prove anything you want to prove. And we can do that. We look up a concordance and say, well, I just want to talk about love. Let me go find five verses on love, and I'm going to share those. You may be pulling those out of context if you're not looking at that verse within that chapter, within that book, 
within the New Testament or within the Old Testament. And so you have to look at things within context. It cannot just pick one verse here and one verse here and say, well, that's what it means. No, you have to look at it as a whole. Number six, understand historical passages in light of doctrinal passages. We must be very careful not to try and make the Bible say something that is not doctrinally accurate. For instance, when you read through the Old Testament, kings married wives and they had multiple wives, sometimes hundreds of wives. And some guys today go, why can't I do that? <laughs> I'd like to have a whole bunch of ladies. That's not what the Scripture's talking about. That's, not, that's a history. That's telling you something's going on. You look at it in the context of what it means doctrinally, and doctrinally what it means is that they were violating Scripture. They were violating God's law. God's law has always been one man and one woman. It's always been His law. But the kings chose to have several. They were breaking God's law. And so you have to look at that and understand what parts are history and what parts deal with doctrine. And number seven, understand personal experience in light of Scripture. Understand your personal experience in light of Scripture. Sometimes we'll have a quote-unquote experience with God or experience in our walk, and we'll say, wow, that's what I have experienced. And then we feel like we have to put that on everybody else, and we make it to be Scripture. Sometimes your experiences are a good experience. They may be a Christ-centered experience, but it may not be exactly what Scripture says. And so your experience was your experience with God, but we can't go and place that as a command for everybody else to follow. We have to be careful when we're saying, hey, this is what happened with me and God. Okay, that happened between you and God, but is it in Scripture? If it's in Scripture, yes, we encourage our people to follow. If not, it may have been just your experience, a very personal thing between you and God, and it may not even be in the Word of God. G.K. Chesterton was one of the greatest minds on the Bible, early 20th century. Chesterton was asked, what one book would he want if he was ever stranded on a desert island? And everyone, of course, expected G.K. Jesterson, this great Bible scholar, that he would say, well, I want the Bible. His surprising and exceedingly sensible answer was, I'd want Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. If you or I were stranded on an island, we'd want the same thing. We, if I was invited to go play on Survivor, I don't know if I want to take my Bible. I want to take things that would teach you how to survive on an island. I think sometimes this earth is like an island. I think sometimes this earth can feel like I'm stranded. I think sometimes this earth can feel like I'm out here all alone, all by myself. How do I make it through? I want to tell you what book you need. You need the Bible. You need the Bible because we're on this earth that is just, it's temporary. If you're a Christian, you're just passing through. But while you're here, why not make it the best you can? Why not make it the best you can until we go to our eternal home? The way you make it the best you can is you learn to love this Word. You, you learn this Word and you live out this Word. This Word gives you hope. This Word gives you direction. This Word will guide you safely home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You. This Thanksgiving weekend, Lord, I thank You that You don't leave us stranded here. I thank you, Father, that you have left us your scriptures. You have guided us. You have left us this, this great book that, that shows us how to live. God, we are just seeking you and asking that you would help us to love you more, help us to learn more of your word, help us to, to live out your word. Father, it's because of this word we can know how to have a great marriage. 
It's because of this Word, Lord, we can know how to be a man of God or a woman of God. It's because of Your Word, Lord, we know what hope is. It's because of Your Word we can learn how to love. We can learn how to overcome temptation. We can learn how to overcome anger or, or how to deal with being down and out and depressed, Lord. It's because of Your Word we learn those kinds of things. Lord, it's because of Your Word we know about Your great love for us. We know about Your Word that tells us You sent us Your only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We only know that, Father, because of Your Scriptures. It's because of Your Word, Lord, we know that Jesus died on a cross for us. It's because of Your Word, Lord, we know that Jesus rose again and conquered the grave, and that when we put our faith in Him, we can have the promised eternity with our Heavenly Father. That's only because of Your Word. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us to be people of your word. Help us be people of the book, people of the Bible. Help us, Lord, to engage in your word and to learn it and to live it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We come to our